Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. I want to read from the book of Revelation. We're going to read uh, chapters, uh, chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. If you'll read with me. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Come on, the Lord hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Amen? You think God knows the message? You think God ordains? Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, but you may be, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. I want to lead off this morning with a quote that I had read from a a man named Augustine who lived a couple of thousand years ago. He says, if you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but it's yourself. I want to just repeat that. If you believe what you like in the gospel and reject what you don't like, it's not the gospel that you believe, but yourself. Come on, I believe that we live in a time in the church where where people are hungry and they're searching for truth. They're searching for truth. They want to know who is God. They want to know who created the heavens and the earth. They have questions, and I feel like the church in America has begun to just lean towards this direction of not giving solid answers. They just begin to say, Lord, we're just going to show you some things to fill up this room. Or we're going to show you some things to fill in our churches, right? But I believe God wants to fill up your heart. He wants to touch people. He wants to touch this generation to see miracles again. He wants to begin to pour out His self on all flesh, as that's what it says in His Word. Come on, God began to speak to me when the, the first days that I came, became the pastor here, that, that this was a traditional church, not and as far as traditions of men, but the traditions of God, that God established His church on the day of Pentecost in a prayer meeting by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Come on, can somebody say amen? In fact, if we look at Acts chapter 19, it says that they had 12 men. They were sitting there, and they were kind of wandering around. They were trying to do this God thing. And then Paul goes to them, and he says, he says Have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, We didn't even know that there was a baptism. He says, Paul says he lays hands on them and they were all baptized with the Holy Spirit and they began speaking in tongues. And I want you to know that at that moment, the church, the Gentile church was founded in, the, in Ephesus. And God began to do great and mighty things through that time. I don't think it's any small coincidence that there were you know, 12 disciples and then there were 12 disciples of John who were in Ephesus. That, that the foundation of the, the church in Jerusalem was founded on the baptism of the Holy Ghost and then the, the foundation of the Gentile church was on the the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Church planners, you people who were interested in ministry, we had some, some ministry interns here that were helping us this morning to, to, with communion. 
I want you to know that it's a great idea to get into ministry, but I want you to know you can't go, don't go, until God has endued you with power from on high, until God begins to speak a clear word to you to go and move forward. Because you just end up roaming around, confused all the time. God gives you the spirit of, of, of himself within you to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. I've seen so many people try to do a work, but they end up falling on their face because they don't have that, that power from on high. That Holy Spirit that God gives. You know, I believe that there's so many people leaving the church, that the church is a great falling away in America. In fact, I had saw a, I had read a, an article on Barna that says that half of all millennials, that this is this, this present generation. Seth, what's the age of millennials right now? I mean, what is that? Like 25 to something? 35? Somewhere around there. This shows that, that half of all millennials think that it's wrong to share your faith. They think it's wrong to share your faith. See, don't you realize that proselytization, wow, that was a tough one to say. <laughs> proselytization, right? That, that to share your faith is not only not wrong, but it's a mandate from Jesus himself. You realize Jesus put together a specific team, he says, and he sent them out two by two with one purpose. And one thing in mind, he said, don't even get distracted with earthly goods. He said, go out two by two, nothing else, and begin to preach the gospel. Preach the truth of, of, of who I am. He says, heal the sick, cast out demons. But yet we live in a culture that says that we don't want to offend anybody with the gospel. Well, that's kind of the point of the gospel. The gospel is offensive. It says, in fact, that it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Come on, don't you realize that, that, that the world needs Jesus? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The world needs Jesus. Romans 1.16. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Listen to this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm not ashamed. Look at your other neighbor and say, of the gospel of Christ. Why? For it is the power of God to salvation... For everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Are we willing as a church in this day today to say that we're going to carry the truth of the gospel to our neighborhoods? Are we going to carry the truth of the gospel into all the world? Are we going to carry the truth of the gospel into our food pantries, into our schools, into our workplaces, into our families, to our supper table? Are we going to begin to share the truth of Jesus Christ to our kids when they want to participate in all types of vile and cor corrupted activities just because they might throw a fit? Well, I want you to know, man, that on these things hinge life or death. In Hosea 4, 6, it says that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But yet we carry more knowledge in our pockets today than any time in history. I would even venture to say that all of the rest of history, we have more, I have more information at, at my disposal in my iPhone than all of the rest of the history had combined. But yet we have a generation that has that much resources, yet they have missed the exact point of what God wants to tell them. Why? Because they have many teachers in Christ, but they lack fathers. You see, they, have a, they lack a church that's going to come alongside and begin to teach them the things that they need to learn. That, that, that parents, you need to begin to teach your children in the way that they should go. So that way when they grow old, they'll not depart from it. But we live in a hyper-grace culture. We live in a, in a church age that says that suffering, 
we say that, if, well, if, if it's not successful, then obviously it's not the Lord. Come on, I, I've had many conversations that people have a bad day and they say, well, is the Lord with me? The answer simply is, are you saved? Yes. Then yes, the Lord is with you. Well, it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to lift you up out of your troubles. He doesn't want to heal you of your diseases. He doesn't want to do all these things. But I want you to know, brothers and sisters, today, that just because you have a bad day doesn't mean that God's mad at you. I, I, I had a, just kind of preparing for this message, I, I like to read a lot of books. And when I'm kind of in a groove of reading, I, I mean, I, could, I can get into this groove, I read about a book a week. And, and so I was like, man, I wonder what the top... 25 Christian books are on Amazon. You know, what's the title? I think this is part of the reason. Because Amazon, people buy most of their book, books from Amazon, right? I mean, I read most everything. Man, you Amazon Prime, boom, you have it in a couple of days. You can even start reading it before it gets here, right? Pretty amazing. So I was like, most people buy their books. So Amazon, top 25, they had no books on Christian history. They had no books on Christian theology. They had no books on biblical things. All the top 25 Christian books on Amazon had everything to do with how to have a better relationship, how to live your best life now, how to overcome these different health issues. Of course, you had the five love languages, right? That's a pretty good book. How to live in greater worldly prosperity. Well, I believe that even Christian books, as, begins, as people begin to just look out and find things that benefits them but doesn't benefit the kingdom. You see, the truth is, is those top people buy those books because they just are easy reads. They just speak to the, the, to the humanistic nature of mankind. I believe that the church is called to stand up for more than just a better life, a healthier lifestyle or greater worldly prosperity. But I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is called to stand up for righteousness, to be a beacon of hope, to be a place of peace, to be the answer for salvation, to be, to be a vessel of mercy in today's world. Come on, Pastor Tommy's here, and, and, and so is Michelle, and they came together, and they formulated the food pantry that gives us the opportunity not only to just give food away, but it gives us the opportunity to minister salvation unto those who have a need. Come on, how many of you realize when we begin to meet physical needs, God can begin to meet spiritual needs? But the church has closed the door on these things. Why? Because, we, because well, if they're going to the food pantry, obviously they probably don't have a whole bunch of money to give, right? That is so contrary to the gospel. Well, that, that Jesus didn't come for the, for the well, it says. But he came for the sick that they may have salvation. So we come to the place in Revelation where Jesus is writing this letter to the church in Smyrna. And I want you to give you a little historical context of this church. Smyrna was, is right there. It's a coastal city. And they had, it was beautiful. It was well, uh, just had all kinds of temples. And people would come there to visit. They would have great commerce and trade. For all practical purposes, it was, kind of, it, it was a beautiful, awesome place. Probably not so much different than like New York City would be in today's uh, mindset, right? Great place. People would go visit there. They had hundreds of temples to all kinds of Greek gods and different things like that. It was a beautiful city. But I want to tell you that, that at that time, God is, Jesus is telling John to write a letter to this church for a specific reason. Because he knew that there was coming a time whenever the church was going to begin to meet great persecution. Great persecution. In fact, there he's writing the letter to probably this man named Polycarp. How many of y'all ever heard of Polycarp? 
Pastor Tommy, I, you're here, and I, I've been. I was going to ask you. You remember the, that that guy that uh, Pito something something something. Pili Peco number two. Okay. Every time I see Polycarp, I'm thinking. I, I think of Pili Peco number two. I don't know Polycarp. I don't really know what that means. I think of a plastic fish whenever I read that. But. Uh, <laughs> But Polycarp, he was the bishop of, of, of Smyrna at the time. And you know, that, that the gospel had begun to have such an impact on the city that, that actually the Roman government, they sent people to go and arrest this man. Now he was 85 years old. You know, he had been there working and operating in, in Smyrna for many years. And, and, and he had had such a great impact on the culture there that they said, you got to get out of here. Actually, we're going to go, you got to totally denounce Jesus. Because how many of you realize that Jesus has a, has a huge effect on our culture? Well, last week we, we talked a little bit about, about love, right? We lost our first love. And many times we, you kind of use the example of the paintbrush. And that if, if we just kind of go through the motions of painting, right, then, then that's good. I mean, but, but it doesn't have any effect. That we have to take the brush and dip it into the paint. And then at that point... We can come back and it has an effect, but it's only lasts for a little while. Then we have to kind of go back to the brush, go back to the bucket, right? And I came to realize we set the paint, this uh, paintbrush up on the bucket over there, and I totally forgot about it until about two days later. So, so here's the paintbrush, and it, and it kind of opened up a new understanding of this to me, right? That now this paintbrush is hard and stiff, right? It's ruined. And I realized that, man, we can get Jesus, but yet if we don't put it to action then we become just like this paintbrush. Well, we just become a church that wants to get inundated with the presence of Jesus, but we don't begin to go apply it to the world. We just become stiff-necked and hard church. Come on, I want you to know that Jesus doesn't want a stiff-necked and hard church. Amen? Come on, He wants a church like the church in Smyrna that begins to have an impact on the culture. It begins to change the things around them. Not because they had these huge crusades, but because they begin to touch people's hearts. They begin to touch people's hearts. And people begin to do good. I mean, think about this. The same gospel that they believe, we believe. Come on, we believe, it, we, we preach peace, righteousness. But we begin to stand up against some of the things, the evil of the world. I want you to know that the enemy is going to begin to push back. Come on, we can, as long as we stay in our little box, the, the world's okay. But when we begin to go into the schools and say that sex before marriage is, is sinful. Whoa, watch out. Or we, we begin to go into the, into the marketplace and say that, that abortion is vile and it is murder. I want you to know, look, watch out. Hang on, church. Who do y'all think y'all are? You self-righteous people over there. Come on, I want you, that's what we're called to do. We're called to stand up for righteousness. We're called to stand up for truth. We're st- called to stand up for peace. This is what Polycarp began to do right there in the city. And they sent an 85-year-old man. They sent uh, soldiers to come and arrest him, right? And they came all ready to go. These soldiers, they didn't know who it was. They just knew they were coming to arrest some enemy of the state, right? So they probably had all their SWAT stuff on, you know. They had like their really long swords and super shields and all that stuff. And they come to this man's house. They knock on the door. And he's just standing there. He's like, hey, how y'all doing? He's like, well, we're here to arrest you. We're going to burn you at the stake. Hey, man, great. Listen, thank y'all so much. As a matter of fact, it says, and if y'all read in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, it says that Polycarp, he actually prepared a table for them and fed them because they had came on a long journey. And he says, give me just one hour to pray. And these soldiers are like, what in the world are we here trying to arrest this man for? But they had orders from Caesar, so they were going to bring him with them, right? But they were totally just like, what in the world is going on? 
So they bring Polycarp to the stadium. And of course, they begin to just, just rail on him and tell him, man, you've got to just denounce your faith. Listen, Polycarp was so convinced of the faith, of the power of the cross. He was so convinced that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the salvation of the world. All he had to do was say these words, I am not a Christian. And they would have let him go. Man, if you, if you read in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, you look at some of the early churches, and they begin to have mothers with children, and they begin to haul the children off to be burned at the stake. And the mothers would tell the children... So, just denounce Christ. Just denounce Christ. And the kids would even stand up and say, Mom, I can't, I cannot denounce the truth of what God's done in my life. Come on, we live in a church age. Amen. Polycarp, he was brought there. He was threatened by lions and beasts. And he was threatened by, by all types of evil things to happen to him. But he stood for righteousness and truth. They threatened him with fire. And Polycarp, he declares, he says, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and is soon extinguished. But the fire of the future judgment of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly you are ignorant of. Well, Polycarp had an understanding that although he may suffer for a small period of time, that he had a crown of glory, a crown of life. He had a place marked for him that his book was written in the Lamb's book of life, that he was going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ, his Savior. Come on, how many of you realize that we can't totally... Just abandon our, our, our eternity for some of the uh, temporary comforts of this world. Polycarp even told them on the verge of death. He says, if you would like to hear the hope that I have within me, if you'll give me just a few moments that I'd share it with you. Always embracing in love. Then they begin to say, just burn them, burn them, burn them. And it says actually that, the, that they lit the, the pyre, they lit the, 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 the pile of wood that was all around them. And it says it was like a great sail, the, the fire just began to envelop all around them. It said the fire didn't even touch them. And then some of the historians say that, they say, well, this is it. The fire's not even going to kill this guy. So they begin to try to pierce him with a sword. And the piercing of the sword, it says his blood, put the fire out. Ultimately, they just cut his head off. You see, I want you to see here that this is the church with which John is writing this letter that he was, had inspired from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the first and the last. That's how he begins this letter with this great promise. Come on, how many of you realize that what Jesus has started in you, he has promised to complete it? Come on, whatever Jesus has started in you, he has promised to complete it. Well, it doesn't matter that my foot is still hurting. I, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is, that doesn't mean that God's mad at me. Or I haven't prayed enough. Come on, that, or, or that, that maybe, you know, maybe my faith isn't strong enough. Well, God, God just, he, that's not what he's concerned about. He doesn't say that we'll not suffer on this earth. As a matter of fact, if you read your Bible, it says that, that we share in suffering with Christ. Hard message, I told you. It says that he's the first and the last, the great Promise of the Bible. He starts what he finishes. He's the creator and the completer. He's the author and the finisher. Our faith is based on Jesus, the one who died and came to life. Come on, don't you realize that Christ suffered on this earth so that way we wouldn't have to suffer in eternity? Friends, I don't want to sugarcoat this, 
to the point that you believe that, that you can just live your life aside from Jesus Christ, apart from Jesus, and still make it into heaven. Come on, the promise from Jesus is that there is only one way, and that gate is very narrow. He said those who don't find it, those who walk away, those who don't maintain the truth of the gospel, those who denounce Christ, their eternity is in hell with fire and flames. I want to make it very clear, and this is very heavy, but I want you to know that there, that there, there may be preachers who say there is no hell, that, that they're lying or they're deceived. There is a hell. It's not for you. It's not for me. Come on, hell was created for Satan himself. God wishes that none would perish, but all would come to eternal life. His destiny for you, his promise for you is not a sinner's hell. Come on, but it's, in a, it's with him in eternity in heaven. But we need to begin to get a, a proper understanding of what that looks like here on earth. The letter goes on to read, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich in faith. The early church met great tribulation and suffering. In fact, it says that, that in this letter that you'll have 10 days of tribulation. I believe that those 10 days and many scholars, I, mean, I didn't just come up with this on my own, did some research. And many of the, the theologians, they look back on, on history and actually those 10 days represent 10 Roman emperors that ruled and each one of them beginning worse and worse and worse and worse until Constantine and then Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome. See, don't you realize that, you'd ha that, that, that prophetically speaking, from a historical prophetic perspective of this book, that, that John is saying through Jesus that you'll have ten days of tribulation. Those prophecies came out to be true. Come on, the Bible is worth reading. It's worth believing. In fact, historians say that during that period of time, some six million Christians were mar martyred in the first 300 years of the church. Six million Christians for their faith. But the promise of God is not that we would not suffer, but that we would, He would never leave us nor forsake us. Something, suffering seems to be something that many are not willing to address. Why? Because it's not pleasant. But the truth is, is that we, have, we will suffer. There will be suffering, but the promises that we don't suffer alone come on how many of you realize that we have christ with us he'll never leave us nor forsake us you see suffering's not based on a cruel and uncaring god you know there's many ideas that well how would god allow all these people these babies to be aborted how would god allow all the evil of this day how would god allow these evil men to rule i want you to know suffering has nothing to do with a cruel or uncaring god but God created, He created humanity, He created all the heavens and the earth in perfection. That in fact they were in constant communion with Him in the garden. Communion is our promise. We participated in communion this, this morning. I believe that Paul was given those instructions so that way we can remember that Jesus died for us. And that no matter what we're going through, whether it be good, whether it be bad, whether it be easy, or whether it be hard, that we can always have the opportunity to communion one with another and to communion one with the Father. That Jesus promised that He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But evil and sin came into this world through the fallen humanity. You can read that account in the book of Genesis. If you look at the book of Luke, in fact, that you see Luke chapter 13, I don't want to read there, 
just for the sake of time. But it talks about how, how many of the Galileans, they were, they, were, they were killed and their blood was mingled with the sacrifices of idols. How many of you realize that there is suffering that comes from the malice or ill intent of others? But Christ is still with us. That there is suffering that comes by accident. You can continue to read in Luke chapter 13 that where, where there was a, a, a tower that fell on, on many believers. Jesus said they didn't fall because they were greater sinners than any other. Sometimes things happen by accident. The key point here is that we have to remember that God is sovereign. Not man. Come on, I want you to realize that, that this morning. That even in our suffering, even in our pain, even when we're going through tr trials and tribulations, and even when... We're there in that dark night of the soul that God is still with us. How many of you realize that man is not sovereign and God's servant? But God is sovereign. And mankind is called to serve Him. Well, just because we're going through pain, just because we're going through trials, just because we have a need in our life, we can't say, Lord, meet my need. And He's like, oh, yes, sir. That's not how it works. God is, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God is sovereign. Jesus never promised that we wouldn't suffer. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, the truth of the gospel is that we are called to deny ourselves, to deny those things that we want in our flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the hands. Jesus says, deny your own motivations even. Come on, I know plenty of people who would go out and do ministry just so that way they can prove other people wrong. Come on, that's not the goal of ministry. The goal of ministry is to lead the lost to salvation. I'm sure if somebody tried hard enough, they can spend enough time and probably prove me wrong on a few points. Come on, I'm not perfect. But the point of, our, of, of what we're doing here today, the point of the ministry, isn't to prove the world right and the, or the world wrong and the church right. The point of the church is to save that which is lost. Come on, it's to introduce people to the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to many times deny ourselves. When we become the forefront of what we preach, I want you to know it makes us ineffective in God's kingdom. Well, even John and... Uh, James, whenever their mother goes to Jesus and says, hey, can, can my son sit at the right hand of the, can sit next to you in eternity? He says, you're missing the point here. It's not about being the favorite or the best or the coolest or having the biggest church. Well, it's about reaching the lost with the love of Jesus Christ. But we'll have time to do all that in eternity. While we're here on this earth, let's set aside our own needs, wants, and desires. And let's begin to do the work that God's called us to do, to go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. Come on, what God wants to do is use you in that goal. That's the truth of the gospel. He doesn't just want to make you live your best life today. Well, it's not about having a better life. I want you to know that. If you take that message, and I remember Pastor Tommy would say this all the time. He said, if you can't preach it in, in the poorest country on the world, in the worst slum of the world, then it's not worthy to be preached in the church. I want you to think about that. How can I go to the starving, hungry, 
homeless nations and begin to say, well, just name it and claim it. You just you're, you're living poor and in poverty because you haven't believed enough for God to provide more for you. Don't you know that the Lord has the cattle on a thousand hills? They're going to be like, what? Come on, I want you to know it's not about that. You can have a full belly and a big house and still be destined for hell. But you can have an empty stomach and have nothing on this earth just like Jesus had and have your place in paradise with him. Come on, that's the gospel. Take up your cross, lose your life. You will find it. That's the message. James 1, 2 through 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have, patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. You see, the thing is, is that we're not promised that we wouldn't have trials. We're not promised that we wouldn't have suffering, but we'll have joy in suffering. We'll have joy in those things because we know that God is with us when we go through these things. Well, I'm not saying that we need to begin to seek out suffering on purpose. But what I'm saying is, is don't let our suffering prevent us from seeing the truth of what God is doing in our lives. Many people have gone out and intentionally put them places. Think of Mother Teresa. She goes out to the orphans in, <clears throat> in Calcutta, India, and lives like a pauper, having nothing at all to her name. Why? Because she knew that the message that she carried, the love of Jesus Christ, is what those orphans needed. It's all about having a proper perspective. You know, the, I believe that God would have us to prosper, but our prosperity, as it says here in this letter, it says that I know that you are poor, though you are rich. I know your poverty, that you don't have much on this earth. Why? Because at the church in Smyrna at that time, they had begun to seize all of the stuff that they had. He knew that they had absolutely nothing, but he knew that they had at the exact same time everything that they needed. <clears throat> we live a, a blessed life in a blessed country, in a blessed land. Man, how many of you are thankful to be live in America in today's time? When even the, even the poor among us have much more than many of the earth. <clears throat> but yet, even on that, the founders of this church, they died and suffered for the sake of the message of Jesus Christ. You realize that even in Jamestown and, and all those early settlers, the pilgrims, they come. You know, most of the pilgrims died. <clears throat> Jesus never promised that we would not suffer. The promise is that our suffering would not be in vain. The promise is that our suffering would not be in vain. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You see here this morning, I don't want us to allow our suffering to be a gauge of the presence of God or a lack of the presence of God. Well, I, re I remember a season here not too long ago, I had, a, I had the opportunity just to go and pray and sing with a man who was, who was laying literally on his, his last days. And you know, the presence of God on that man was so powerful and profound. I'll never forget it. It touched me for the rest of my life that a man could be so grateful even in his suffering, even in his pain. Why? Because he knew that he had a greater, a greater place that he was going. 
See, right before that, Romans 8, 16, 17 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, our calling is to be suffers, we suffer with Christ, we become joint heirs with His promise. Jesus, the, uh, Jesus says here, he says, be faithful unto death and, and I will give you the crown of life. To those who are faithful. You see, we may not see persecution now, but begin to stand up for righteousness. And let's begin to have that conversation. In fact, I want to just invite the worship team if they would come. You see, you may say, Joe, that's a, this is a tough message. It is. That God has called us to suffer with Christ. That's difficult. Yep. But I want you to know it's the most glorious thing that when we begin to realize the power of God unto salvation, when we begin to say that, that it, with, and align ourselves with Paul, he says that though we may suffer for a little while, that it doesn't even compare to the glory of eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. This is the message of Jesus, that, that we, can, we have the ability to partake with Him in saving the world. Like Joseph has said, he likes superhero movies. Well, Jesus is my superhero. Well, Jesus came to save the world. He came and did it all. We have the opportunity to, part with him, to partake with Him. If we're willing to abandon our comforts. What's our priorities in this day? Ooh, man. If you, got, if, you, if you don't have steel toes on, I advise you to tuck your feet under the chair. Come on, is it, is it just our own self-preservation? Are we willing to forsake all for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's the true call. You realize that, that, that here in this present past couple years, there's been more, more martyrs to Christ than there were in the previous 1,800 years? People are dying for the cause of Jesus Christ. But yet the most equipped, the most resourceful, the, most, the, the biggest church in all of the world sits idly by watching while people perish every single day. Because we put our priorities on things of this world and not on the things of God. Come on, we begin to stand up against the work of Satan. I want you to know that persecution will come. When we begin to stand up for Christ, the enemy will push back. When we begin to say that we'll not bow, bow down any longer to the lies of the enemy, that our children can't read their word in school or they can't pray in school. Come on, kids, I want you to know you can read your Bible in school and don't let anybody tell you that you can't. You can pray in school, don't let anybody tell you that you can't. If they tell you that you can't, you come tell them to come talk to me. That's a lie from the enemy. Don't say, don't let your, anybody in your workplace tell you that you can't share the love of Jesus Christ. I promise you, when you begin to just live a life that is sacrificial, live a life that says, it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Whenever you have those people who have a need and you say, can I pray with you, brother? Their answer will be yes. 
Come on, I want you to know that they'll be begging you to share the hope that you have within you. And you begin to be partakers with Christ. We begin to take up our cross and follow Him. When we begin to say as a church that it's murder, it's murder to legalize abortion in the womb. Out of the womb, 20 years old, 40 years old, God says He knew us before He formed us in the womb. Eight months in the womb is no different than 80 years out. You see, have we made even suffering for the sake of Christ, a pillar of our faith. Let, let me explain. You know, many, it's easy. Hey, we're going to pray. We'll have discipleship classes. We'll teach the Word of God. We'll even do evangelism, right? But are you willing to evangelize even at the sake of our own suffering? Are you willing to say, it's, I am less important than the message that I carry? Suffering was a pillar of the early church. As a matter of fact, even at the, the underground church in China right now, that's part of what they do. They intentionally find places and ways that they can go and push the gospel. They'll sell all their possessions to move into the slums to plant a church. They take all their earthly resources and sow them into the lost for eternal joy. Because their promise is a crown of life. Don't look at this world and say, is this what it's all about? Because yes, this is what it's all about. Well, we have hope in eternity to look forward to. A glorious reunion with the Father as Jesus comes back on a cloud of glory. Well, we receive a crown of life. A, a, a crown of life. Not that we can wear it in heaven. Come on, you know what that's for. That we can cast it at the feet of Jesus. Singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Oh, that the church would once again suffer for the cause of Christ. Because we have the greatest promise from Jesus. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. For he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Well, I believe that God is raising up an overcoming church. He's raising up a church that will eat from the tree of life in the midst of the paradise of God. He is raising up a church that will not be harmed by the second death. He is raising up a church that, that is ready and equipped to go out and defeat the works of the enemy. The question is, is are you ready to do that this morning? I was just in prayer this morning and God gave me a word and he said to look at Ezekiel 37.3 and God looks at Ezekiel and he's in the valley of the dry bones and he looks and he asks a question he says son of man can these bones live Ezekiel says Lord you're God and you say so believe that that's a word for today. I believe that God is looking down on the men and women of God and he's looking at his church and he's seeing a church that is primed and ready have fallen warriors and soldiers. He doesn't see bones. Come on. He sees an army. He's saying, look, 
Look at this army, son of man. Can these bones live? And he said, Lord, you just give the word and let it be. God is calling the church to action. God is calling the church to action. God is calling his people to action. Are you willing to answer that call this morning? It won't be easy. It wasn't promised easy. People are going to think things about you. Come on, people already think things about you, so don't worry about it. It's what God thinks about you. Have you received? Are you ready to receive your crown of life? Can we stand together? believe God is just saying that he doesn't want a stiff-necked, hardened church that's so saturated with his presence, but it's already dried up on the bristle. He wants a church that is living and active and breathing. He doesn't want a church made up of dry bones, but he wants the flesh and the sinew and the ligaments, the functionality. God is raising up an army in this generation. An army that will stand for righteousness, that will begin to turn the tide that will begin to speak the truth no matter what the cost. That even just like those who went before us, Polycarp and all of those in, in Smyrna and all of the early, early disciples, they gave their very lives for the cause of Christ. Spirit to begin to just pierce our hearts. Lord, let your convicting word go forth, Lord, that there's those here who have not answered that call to salvation. Lord, I want you to just begin to remind them, Lord, that you are the author and finisher of their faith. Lord, that what you begin to speak to them, Lord, those years ago, Lord, you're going to begin to bring into completion. feel like you've just began to abandon your calling. If you begin to say that, Lord, I've, I've pushed forward. I remember those first works. I remember my first love. I remember what God did in me. I remember the fire of the Holy Spirit that once was in me, Lord, but it's become dried up. It's become hardened. It's become stiff. Lord, that now I don't even make decisions based on you. I just make decisions based on me. Lord, I want to repent today. Lord, I want to turn my, my, my life around. I want to begin to get on on board with what you're doing on this earth. Lord, I want to begin to say, Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Lord, no matter what the cost is. Lord, no matter if i got to sell this or sell that or quit wasting time watching this or that or put my phone down for a few minutes. Lord, use me. Lord, use me to reach my neighborhood. Lord, use me to, 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 go, to reach those in the grocery store. Lord, that I'll only count it as, as beneficial, Lord God, whenever persecution and suffering comes. Lord, I'll understand that you're sovereign, that you're holy, that you're righteous. Lord, that you're our creator. Lord, that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, Lord, lives and dwells in me. 
Lord, this is the hope and the promise of what you've accomplished. Lord, send me. Use me. Lord, touch me. There may be some of you here that have never committed your life to Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about just a sinner's prayer. I'm saying that, Lord, I give you everything that I have, Lord, from the very top of my head to the bottom of my feet, Lord, from the very extent and reach of both of my arms, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Lord, my house, my boat, my RV, Lord, everything that I have is yours. Lord, because there are those who are perishing, who have not heard the promise of eternal life because of my disobedience. Lord, there were those who paid the price with their very lives so that I can have freedom in you today. you this morning I want to give you an opportunity to respond to say Lord use me no matter the cost Lord I may suffer I may suffer death I met a man a few years ago that even he knew that God called him to be a martyr he told me that he's still alive today but he's on the mission field in a very dangerous place Knowing the dangers, he still went. Right now, if that's you, if you want to be used unto God, if you want to say, Lord, send me, use me, I abandon all for the cause of Christ. If you say that's that's me, can you can you just make your way up here? We're just gonna, I just want to come into agreement with you. I want to come into agreement with you. some here that just want to, they want to give everything that they have to Jesus Christ. They want to just say, Lord, use me, send me. We're just going to come into agreement with them and pray for them. Come on, if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never said, man, I don't even need Jesus. So you may have said that. I don't even need this gospel stuff. I want you to know Jesus died for you and countless millions of others along with them. Why? Because they know that the power of the gospel is salvation to those who are perishing. Because they knew it was more, their, their, their reputation was less important than, than what God wanted to do in you. If that's you, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, Jesus loves you. He sent His Son to die for you. He sent His Son to die for you. He bankrupted heaven. He sent it all. He did everything that He could. The Creator of the heavens and the earth. He died for you and me. He wants to touch your life here this morning. Give you that peace and that comfort. Many of you may not know what eternity, what's on the other side of eternity. If you don't know what's on that other side, today you can know. Today you can know what's on the other side of eternity.
It says, to those who overcome, I will give the crown of life. He says, your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.